Hey, it's Eric Hulkerin, and this is another episode of Behind the Headline. On this episode, we talk to photojournalist Joel Bissell. Zero hours of sleep in 40 hours, trying to just cover the heart of the community and what these people have to say, but then also the aspect of the National Guard coming to town, the police in riot gear, and ultimately what they're trying to protest. Reporter Kayla Miller. We're right in the middle of it, and we were personally tear-gassed, and I've never experienced that before, so the, the physical pain of being tear-gassed um, and trying to keep the camera on. I was holding a GoPro, so trying to keep the GoPro pointed toward the protesters while coughing and uh, crying and, and my own physical reaction to tear gas. And reporter Lindsay Moore. I don't know if you remember when the cinnamon challenge was going around where you would take a spoon, spoon and pour <laughs> it out. I've described it as the cinnamon challenge, but with like cayenne. It coats your mouth, your throat. It's true to its name. You just have streams and streams. You're sobbing like a soap opera star. You're just, everything about it is very visceral. Um, and it, it does what it intends to do, which is to get you to back away. <laughs> All three who were covering the protests in Kalamazoo last week. One of the biggest stories in our nation as it unfolds in our community. So without further ado, the latest episode of Behind the Headlines. As we do every episode, we dig into the biggest stories of the day on MLive.com. As usual, my co-host is Vice President of Content for MLive.com, John Heiner. John, how are you this week? You know, uh, I am, as a journalist and as an American citizen, uh, I am operating on all cylinders here, Eric. We've had an unprecedented week in America, and obviously journalists are at the front line of that. So, um, you know, it's funny, we took a week off last week, and we almost needed a week off to absorb everything that, that has been happening in America after the, the death of George Floyd and the protests that have been happening all across the country. One thing about M Live is we have eight newspapers in eight cities. We also operate in Detroit where we don't have a paper, but we have offices in the center of these cities uh, by design. We've intentionally put ourselves in the center of our communities. And this is where a lot of the unrest happened, a lot of the peaceful protests, but also some of the unrest that happened throughout Michigan. Um, we had an office damaged in Lansing where there were some protests uh, that turned a, you know, a little bit chaotic downtown there. We had some some really uh, striking uh, violence and images out of Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo. And obviously we cover Detroit, we don't have an office there, but uh, we had a pr pr pretty uh, jarring incident in Detroit with one of our photojournalists, Nicole Hester, who at, after curfew was covering it with uh, two other photographers who don't work for us, were stopped by police on the way to their car. Uh, they raised their hands, identified themselves, and, and then were shot with uh, riot pellets from about 15 or 20 feet away. And uh, just to give you an update on that, uh, you know, our attorneys and us are working with the Detroit Police Department. They're doing a criminal investigation. Wow. And uh, we've identified some surveillance video that corroborates the story that they were acting, um, following police orders, they were acting as journalists and had identified themselves. So, we, you know, I'll keep, I'll keep you posted on that. I expect yeah. that you'll be seeing some coverage in MLive about the subsequent investigation and possible criminal charges from police. And, you know, we've been at the center of all of these arguments and discussions that are raging across America right now, just from a social angle. 
from a policing angle, from um, social justice angle, but also journalistically, our obligations to tell the stories, to tell all aspects of the story for the community, to illustrate, because every community is different too. In some of our communities, uh, such as Flint, there were no violent demonstrations. The sheriff marched, and he was uh, he's a white sheriff, marched with the community members in a show of unity. We've also had in some of our communities, the police have come out and uh, taken a knee with protesters. Um, in, in, in one instance, I believe it was Kalamazoo, we could talk about that today, they, they uh, kind of came out and uh, talked with the protesters and all this and then tear gassed them <laughs> So when the curfew came. So, um, and I mentioned Kalamazoo and today we're lucky enough to have with us three journalists from the Kalamazoo Gazette, uh, one of MLive's newspapers and digital operations who have been covering the, the situation in Kalamazoo, both the peaceful protests, but also it was a scene of uh, some unrest that, that ended in property damage. Uh, some houses were burned. Um, and there's some real anger in the community and concerns. And uh, at, the front of line, at the front lines of that are uh, reporters Kayla Miller uh, and reporter Lindsey Moore and photojournalist Joel Bissell. And they're with us here today. I'll just start with you, Kayla. How do you separate your obligations as a journalist from your feelings as a person when you're in the middle of uh, these kind of dynamic situations where you don't know what's going to unfold? That is a really tough question to answer, um, but I've been trying to process since last Tuesday what I experienced, the, the content that I created out of that experience and some of the feedback that I've received from the community, both positive and negative feedback as well. Um, so I had a lot of anxiety going into Tuesday, knowing that I was, um, you know, going to be covering a protest that would likely turn, um, you know, I don't know if you want to call it violent or not, or, not, or, or just confrontational between police and protesters. Um, so I had a lot of anxiety going into that, but I tried to pull on some of my previous experience reporting at um you know, the when Trump was in Battle Creek and some of the, the conflict that happened between the two sides of that argument um, and kind of pull from what that was like to 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 know how to report on this. Um, and and I would say the biggest thing that I've been reflecting on since Tuesday is that it's really hard to pull your own emotions out from your reporting when one of the major emotions you're experiencing is fear. Um, being in downtown Kalamazoo, you know, the 7 p.m. curfew was approaching. The protesters had left the sidewalk and were now in the street. And the the sidewalk, um, the crosswalk, excuse me, across Michigan Avenue was serving as sort of an unspoken physical barrier between police and the protesters. So that's what five feet, four feet um, between the two parties um, and lots of screaming from protesters. Um, so I was walking with a pad of paper and a pen writing things like, you know, you're racist, um, you know, say you're racist, things like that, and trying to take that down as um, observation. We kind of knew things were going to escalate. Uh, I remember being confused by that because the protesters were, in my opinion, peaceful. 
they were at some points kneeling silently or standing silently. Um, they were chanting, join us, put down your weapons, walk with us, kneel with us. Um, obviously reflecting some of the things we saw in Flint and some of the other cities where officers did in fact kneel or walk with the protesters. Um, and while that's happening, the police were putting on more riot gear. So we're watching them put on, you know, things on their body and the gas mask and the, the face masks and helmets. And um, I watched an officer pass out batons to the other officers, um, like wooden batons that they didn't have when they first got there, but they were like passing them out. Um, so watching that sort of escalate from only one side, it was confusing. Um, and that's hard to, I guess, not have that influence your reporting. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, I mentioned fear. Uh, we're right in the middle of it and we were personally tear gassed and I've never experienced that before. So the, the physical pain of being tear gassed um, and trying to keep the camera on. I was holding a GoPro, so trying to keep the GoPro pointed toward the protesters while coughing and uh, crying and, and my own physical reaction to tear gas. Um, so it's, it's hard when I'm afraid of what's happening to not allow that fear to influence my reporting. But I, like I said, tried to pull on some of my own Experience walls rely on editors to be behind me to have a second pair of eyes to make sure that my reporting was fair and accurate. Lindsay, I saw you as we were as Kayla was recounting the experiences. I saw you shaking your head a little bit. You were out there too. Have you ever been in a situation like this before? What did you do to prepare to be in that situation? But also then, as it was unfolding, what were you thinking on your feet in terms of? your need to do your job, but also to keep yourself safe? Um, so truth be told, yes, I have been. I've been tear gassed before. Before I came to MLive, I worked um, in Phoenix. And so I covered a Trump rally, and it was right around the time that he was pardoning Sheriff Joe Arpaio. And so tensions were very high in that community as well. Um, and so I think Kayla really articulated that anxiety beforehand. Um, for me, I'm an over-preparer, so all day I paced around my apartment thinking, I need to make sure I have a mask, I need a bandana, I might need to bring milk if we get tear gassed, if my eyes are stinging. I might need, you know, I need my battery pack, I need to, you know, make sure that our cars are in a safe place and that we're within walking distance. All of that type of, like, frantic energy. Um, that being said, all that overpreparedness when you're there, it's just an adrenaline rush. Um, and I feel like Kayla articulated really well that watching it unfold and that juxtaposition between the police line and the protesters was really interesting and almost theatrical. Um, the way that they would, as you said, like systematically just more and more gear. Um, it almost felt, I don't want to say scripted because it was reactive, but it just happened just as we almost thought it would, even though the protesters weren't acting the way that we've seen in other cities. Um, again, they were over and over saying, you know, walk with us, put down your weapons. Um, and so then when tear gas was deployed, that moment of safety, I feel like your brain as a journalist is switching back and forth. Obviously the human element of fight or flight, but also of professional, personal of, I need to get out of the way. 
I need to keep filming. I can't fully run away, but I need to be able to be safe. Mm-hmm. Where are my coworkers? Like all of those thoughts are running on a hamster wheel. <laughs> um, and so that was just a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of really adrenaline rush of energy that I think kind of followed us even after the protests started to dissolve and they really, they pushed the, these protesters kind of into the neighborhoods and kept following them. And as they dispersed, I think the three of us were still on that. I don't want to call it a high because it wasn't, a, it's not a positive feeling, but just on that rush of where do we go next? We may need to make sure all three of us are safe. Um, and now how do we tell the story? How do we collect our thoughts? Did you sense, did any of you sense a feeling of inevitability that there was going to be physical conflict uh, as in the run up? I mean, you went out there and they were, they were having peaceful protests and discussions with the cops and imploring them put their weapons down. But was there was there kind of that sense in the air that it was going to turn bad? Yeah, I'll speak to that. I would say yes. Um, again, watching them put on more gear. I think there was a moment that I thought maybe this will go without all of that when our assistant police chief got in between those two lines and spoke directly to the young woman and the young man who were kind of leading the chance and were talking really passionately. Um, he wasn't, you know, he was very careful with his own words. He was still being authoritative. He was very much still, you know, trying to control a crowd. But I thought in that moment, okay, maybe we're going to see this diffuse and they're just going to have a conversation. And again, he took those two individuals behind the police line talked with them there for what felt like several minutes. Obviously time kind of expands when you're there, but he had a conversation with them for a while. And I thought that maybe they would come back and even diffuse it or together there would be that sense of leadership. So for a moment, I thought that we could get away with not having it turn the way that it did, but um, that's just not how it went. And to answer your question, some of it did feel inevitable that there was gonna be that conflict. Okay, Joel, how about you and and your, your need? to look through the lens and tell a story through a lens, but also then take a stock of the greater situation, where your coworkers are, the greater story, the need to hit deadlines and that sort of thing. How do you keep your professional focus and get the images that you need when that kind of uh, unscripted things unfolds in front of you? I went to a university where we were thrown into the fire right away. we were one of the largest party schools in the nation, so we had constant police breaking up parties, tear gas, all this stuff, all all these sort of things happening where you had unrest happening, albeit with a bunch of drunk college kids, <laughs> rather than people protesting for something greater in humanity. Following college championships and all those kind of things lead to these sort of events. So I was very familiar with going into situations like this with police in riot gear and, you know, all these authoritative figures really showing force. By the time we rolled around to the protest on Tuesday, I had already been working all day Monday, worked through the evening, went downtown when all the chaos broke out um, in the city, in the downtown uh, center of Kalamazoo, where 25 businesses were damaged. Uh, six people were arrested. I mean, it was utter chaos down there. And heading into that at midnight by myself, you know, just kind of seeing what people were saying on Twitter and, hey, you should go down here. I'm a 
five minute drive. If that I live in the neighborhood, I'm right here. You know, you could, we could see the fireworks going off on our night walk. You could hear the cop sirens throughout the night and then driving there, that five minute drive literally was one of the scariest times of my career where I'm driving and there's cars. Oh, Kalamazoo has a lot of one way streets that are, you know, four lanes wide, very big. Well, there's cars going 80, 90 miles an hour back and forth. And I'm trying to drive my vehicle at midnight through this to get downtown to just see what's going on, let alone take photos, video, go out and try to report on all the chaos that ensued that evening. And just pulling up, it was just like, hey, I have my kayak rack in my car. I can't go park in the basement garage. Where do I park my car? Oh, I see chief of operations over here. Let me just go park by city hall there and kind of watch it from my window for a minute. But going into the situation by yourself, already having worked all day and then seeing that unfold, it was kind of a very like, you know, hearing stories that from Detroit with Nicole Hester, other photojournalists that have been injured, other journalists that have been injured. And then going into a scenario like that by yourself, you know, you have multiple I call them like roving groups of people walking around downtown. It's like, who do I trust? Who do I not? I have $10,000 a gear strapped on my neck. And, and now I see tear gas going off. I, you know, across the park. So it's like, I'm running into this, not knowing what is going on. And then while I'm doing this, I'm hearing windows breaking alarms going off half a block from me. And then police and riot gear trying to go and clear out, they ended up looting one one store there and breaking several windows. But just going there and trying to, hey, what what part of town do I go to? Where where do I focus my attention by myself? And how do I put the best eyes as a journalist on this so we can tell this story? And that's still that chaos that happened that evening is something we're still trying to understand and report on now um, and get answers for. But piecing together Facebook Lives later and all of that, we're able to do that. But then going into that i then subsequently worked throughout the next morning with the cleanup i was out there at 6 a.m and then went to a uh, public press conference at the headquarters and by the time i wrap that up it's time the national guard's moving in so here i'm already on you know zero hours of sleep in 40 hours trying to just cover the heart of the community and what these people have to say but then also the aspect of the National Guard coming to town, the police in riot gear, and ultimately what they're trying to protest. So it's kind of, um, you know, for me, it's a little easier that I don't have to write out the words in a story. And I really feel for all the reporters that have to do this, um, where with my camera and with video, I can tell that story through my lens and I can be there, but I guess I can have a little separation because I'm just there making visuals of the story. I'm trying to get both sides. I'm trying to, you know, show the police putting on their gear while the protesters are standing there yelling at them. So it's like you're trying to get both sides of the story and kind of, you know, we started off with getting photos of the National Guard coming into town. How often does the National Guard block off streets in downtown Kalamazoo, downtown Grand Rapids? It doesn't happen often. So to see that alone was newsworthy, but then you have to add in all of these layers of things. So it's kind of like almost don't think in those situations. You just kind of think, hey, what's coming next? How can I document what's going on and tell this story to 
the thousands of people watching and reading our stories to get a fuller picture of it and kind of paint that picture for them. So it's a lot of, hey, kind of my idea is get photos of everything of the whole situation that I can, but be safe at the same time. I guess my emotional side of things, I kind of, I'm moving so fast and doing that. Obviously I'm listening to what they're saying just to see what's happening next, but I'm there to document it. I'm not there to make opinions feel a certain way or anything. And I think having that lens up and taking these images and constantly moving and doing that kind of already separates me a little bit from the feeling of emotion. I've talked with several photographers who've covered this around the nation in big cities, small cities, everywhere. And it's like, it's part of our job to do this and how, you know, a lot of people came to me and were like, how do you not feel emotion during this while you're taking images and being here? And it's like, I'm trying to tell the story as a whole for everyone to see and make their own opinions from. And I've just always had this very neutral approach to what I do and have, I guess my work or my photos kind of tell the story in that way and let people make their own judgments instead of myself. The photojournalism and the, the, we've been done a lot of Facebook lives around the state, but the photojournalism is emerging from these protests is spectacular. On M Live, some of the photo galleries that we've done, I would encourage listeners to go back and look. It's so striking. These people are putting their, they're, they're going out there and putting themselves in danger. I mean, everybody who's going out there because they're going in, into the unknown. Um, one thing, Joel, that you said that was interesting is, you know, we're still taking stock. This story's still being developed and written. Um, and yet, you know, the next morning, you were all able to wake up and count the number of businesses that were damaged and the number of people arrested. You can quantify it, right? But when you were describing midnight, when you were, it, it sounded like something out of a science fiction, surreal landscape. You're, it's dark. There's vehicles going 90 in downtown Kalamazoo. There's tear gas in the park. You hear sirens going off. Nick, any of you can answer this, but how surreal was it from a personal standpoint? And then your job is to like make reason out of that and somehow capture that in the stories. So if, if, if you want Kayla or Lindsay, how did you go back to the office and say, what is, geez, what is my story? So I try to, um, while I'm experiencing something or while I'm at an event or, or at a meeting or whatever I might be covering on, I'm, I'm trying to think about my headline, think about my lead sort of in the moment. And so I remember, um, after things had kind of quieted. So at this point, the tear gas had been sent out, uh, the riot police had walked the protesters sort of out of town, um, or out of the, the downtown area. And, Lindsay and I were walking back to our office and I was on the phone with my editor going, okay, I think this is what the story is going to be. Um, and, and I, I wanted to speak on Joel's point of fairness because it was really, really challenging to say, okay, it was a hundred percent fair of me to say that the protesters urged the police to join them. I witnessed that with my own eyes. We all heard the chance of put down your weapons, kneel with us, join us, these things. And again, to see the protesters kneeling silently or standing silently, there was no violence, no threats of violence, no destroying property, anything like that. 
Um, and so to watch that unfold and then that those people get tear gassed. So there's that angle that you have to represent. But then there's also the angle of police spent 40 minutes after curfew trying to negotiate with the protesters. Um, and like Lindsay mentioned, polling the, the, the protest leaders, um, you could probably argue they were leading. Um, pull them aside, have a conversation, try to understand their demands. Uh, we did have our assistant police chief kneel with the protesters. Um, only one or two people joined him and the rest said, no, we don't accept this because um, your, your men aren't kneeling. It's just you and you have a row of men in riot gear standing directly behind you. So how, so they were sort of questioning the police chief's excuse me, a police assistant chief's, you know, motivations for kneeling and saying, no, this isn't enough. And how do you put all of that in one headline? How do you say that everything that happened, you know, how do you fairly and accurately represent that? And we all know sometimes people don't click on the actual article and read the thousand words that we spent time writing to try to really illustrate the full context of what happened. And they're looking simply at the headline um and then judging us as being biased or unfair could you guys walk me through then what happened when did you get back to the office i mean you had tear gas in your hair and your eyes and take take the the listener this since we're behind the headlines um let's take them behind the headlines back into the office which somehow didn't get damaged even though it's right downtown um, and then what happened uh, putting the stories together and how did the rest of the night go for you and then then heck how'd you sleep that night um, I'll, I'll take that one. So to pick up where Kayla was saying, where we're walking even back. So after police had pushed protesters into the neighborhoods and followed them until, you know, the crowds breaking up until pairs of twos, et cetera, um, Kayla and I found each other. We're walking back. She's on the phone with our editor. I see our assistant police chief who we had just mentioned had this, this moment, um, of talking with protesters kneeling and then being the one to signal the tear gas. So, um, to answer your earlier question too about how do you write these stories, that story came out of just that moment of talking with him, seeing that he was still choked up. He took this long pause when I just said, how are you doing? And he had this moment of saying, I'm not good. I'm hurt that this just happened. Um, so from there, Kayla and I continue to walk back. Now we're saying, I think we have two stories here and to again, get back to fairness of how do we show both angles of an incredibly uh, dynamic, situation. So we get back to our office and we're working on both of those. Joel is editing more than a thousand photos, I think, at that point. Um, we are all astounded that none of our glass was broken in downtown, but that's mostly because of the National Guard's blockade um, really protecting or blocking the heart of downtown. Um, and so we're sitting there working on stories and then we're getting messages from the public tagging us, tagging all local media saying, what is this media blackout? Why isn't anybody on Facebook Live anymore? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And this pressure to only to not only be finally collecting your thoughts, putting it, as Kayla said, into words, into a story and into a headline that's fair. But then people want they're so accustomed to the 24 hour news cycle that they want to know what's happening right now. And they're looking at us and holding us accountable, saying it's your responsibility to tell me what's happening right now. Um, which is daunting. It's a daunting task. Um, I mean, I walked up and down the mall after my story was done. It was quiet. I could report back just in that Facebook feed, say there's not a soul down here. Um, and to then progress into the night, the three of us left our office 
maybe around 10, they can correct me if that's wrong, uh, maybe later than 10 even. Um, and I live downtown now as well. And so I think my head finally hit the pillow maybe 1130 and I heard sirens again and turn on the scanner and we have multiple structure fires just a couple blocks from me get back out of bed, put back on the reflective vest, put back on the tennis shoes, everything that I had just, all the tear gas I just showered off said, now it's going to be house fire smoke. Um, went back out there, Joel met me back out there, and we were there for about an hour, um, taking in that scene of things that went south um, in our neighborhood over here. And that was a whole nother thing to kind of wrangle my head around of, okay, what, how, what is the connection? Do we know for sure that, how do we even describe this? Are these, is this a peaceful protest that went the other way or this is an outside group? I think that's what I've been struggling with personally is choosing my words really carefully about how to describe the events that happened after the protest. Um, and that's what we've gotten the most criticism for and, and constant constructive criticism as well of how do we describe who these people are that are vandalizing and setting fires and looting are they part of the same group that we see chanting put down your weapons and i think that there's some truth in the middle sometimes yes and sometimes no you all are community members what is the sentiment of the community and how does it feel to live there and see this happening in the town that you live in and and still have to report on it so uh, Joel, go ahead. Um, so piggybacking off the fire, I think that was very surreal to see that that night after the chaos Monday night and everything that happened in between that with the protesters then being dispersed with the gas. Um, there was, by the time we got there, it was, um, and we walked our way around the scene of this fire. So I'll set up the fire real quick. There was a eight unit uh, apartment building that was abandoned in the middle that now was about to be um, refurbished um, from different grants in the city for uh, um, low-income housing kind of deal. And the house, the winds were very strong that night. So this bill, I mean, I've been to hundreds of fire scenes. I haven't seen one that burned that hot and heavy. I mean, it caught the house next to it to the east on fire and then the apart uh which was also abandoned and then the building to this uh north behind that it also caught that building on fire and then the building to the west was occupied by an 84 year old woman who had lived in that house for decades and she was able to get out with the pajamas on her back um but then coming around that scene and then seeing the old um mayor out there that just left uh, the old black mayor, uh, Bobby Hopewell. Um, he lives down the block. The current mayor, uh, city commissioners, county commissioners, they were all standing there just kind of in awe of what had happened. And they would just talk about the hurt that Kalamazoo, that the nation, that Michigan, everywhere is feeling over this. And um, just kind of hearing some of their sentiments and them talking that evening was very, you know, this is a big turning point for not only our community, but our nation and kind of where do we go from here? There's so much hurt and so much pain in these communities that, um, you know, what's the best way to move forward from this? And then as the days progressed, you know, we had more um, 
protests like everywhere else. And those were all uh, much more peaceful. We had a youth protest on Friday. We had all the businesses still boarded up. We saw the community come together and clean all that up. People were out there at 3.30 in the morning when the police let them back in Monday night. And by the time I got out there at 6 a.m., half the businesses were already cleaned up. All the glass was cleaned up. You know, there was a few places here and there that were still being cleaned up. But it was amazing to then see all this pain and all this anger and destruction. And then the community come back together. And we saw that in Grand Rapids and other cities. And then now, you know, yesterday I was out with high school football teams out just walking, trying to have their voices heard. And then going back downtown and seeing all this beautiful artwork downtown uh, Kalamazoo on these plywood boards, people have turned it into Black Lives Matter art artwork that is just, you know, all different types of artwork that you can imagine from portraits to crazy different things to very um, poignant pieces um, showing that our community and communities around Grand Rapids do the same thing, that people in the community do care. There are a lot of good people out there. Yes, there's bad apples that cause this on both sides, from police sides to the public side. And seeing the overall humanity and mass groups come out to help really, I think, puts that in perspective for me that this everything will get better um, obviously there's a lot of change that needs to happen, but I think our society as a whole has the means to figure that out. Um, it's just going to take time to heal and do that, but to really see the community come together and across the nation come together and kind of really address these issues head on now is nice to see because a lot of times these issues obviously have not been addressed over decades, centuries. Now to see actual talk happening and communities rallying together we saw that with covid you know the communities all these communities came together and then we had this like huge jarring thing that separated things but now then to see this healing process happening again and the community coming together is always a good thing to see and i think that brings you know at the end of the day working my butt off to make these images and tell these stories to see that kind of stuff really that like hits home and makes me feel I guess that, you know, we cover all these, we see all these bad things, we cover all this bad, ugly things, but then in the end, things tend to heal themselves, and the community is the big proponent of that, and across Michigan and in our MLive hubs, I think we've seen that, and that's really fantastic to see, and as a journalist, that makes me, you know, smile a little bit in terms of seeing our everyone come together for a common cause. But we literally have to run to the fires, journalists. That's what we do. Uh, we cover breaking news when things break. But it, it's a good point you make, Joel. It's also the healing. Um, it's all in the spectrum of the community coming through crisis together. And I think journalism is at its best when it serves as a forum for lots of different voices so other people can hear those voices and that you know lindsay said he went back and edited a thousand pictures well it just sounds like you're just you know it's a pipeline but it's not because those images matter and showing the diversity of images really matters and the thought that you guys put into you know it's not just the headline it's it's the substance of the story it's all points of view and i'm really really proud that to be in an organization of journalists that across the state is trying to do this. And you know, Grand Rapids is a lot different than Flint. 
But when you see a whole block on fire in Grand Rapids, um, that's really sobering. And there's a message there that needs to be told. And we did. We went back into the streets like you did in Kalamazoo. And you talk, you talk to the business owners. You talk to the volunteers who came out. The assistant police chief who's in Kalamazoo um, is a person of color, you know. And so all these different perspectives, we can't tell them all, but we have to show enough of that spectrum that people have an the information to, to make decisions about participating in their communities. So you guys did an amazing job. I'm extremely proud of you. And uh, if there's any final thoughts you have about how you're, you know, this is changing you or how you're feeling about it, uh, tell, tell our listeners. So I have been trying to, um, yeah, I guess think beyond the breaking news and think where, where do we go? Um, not only as a community, but just for myself, um, and some of the steps that I've been taking to, um, so I will be moving, um, into downtown. I live outside of the city right now, but I'm going to be moving into downtown later this summer. And I'm excited to feel more a part of the city and to feel like I'm, I'm living in the community that I serve, uh, more directly. I've also tried to diversify my own social media feeds and I've been friending lots of people that are leading Kalamazoo, um, you know, people that are that are going live all the time and saying, here's what's happening on the north side, here's what's happening on some of these underrepresented neighborhoods um, and what that what's happening in that community just to integrate myself more into the community that I serve. Well, thank you for putting yourselves out there, all of you. Um, you're very representative of the great journalists we have across them live and really across the profession here in Michigan. Everyone's stepping up across the country doing this essential work to keep people informed and be a part of a just a really critical historic debate in American society. So, you know, and I'm very proud that we're in the First Amendment, uh, the only profession guaranteed to exist. And, and we're still out there representing. So um, really appreciate you joining us here today, Eric. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Headlines. If you enjoy what you're hearing, what we would love for you to do is add the podcast to a playlist on Spotify. Like it if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And then tell all your friends. Share the episodes that you like so that more people can hear these stories. We'll be back next week with another episode of M Lives Behind the Headlines.